0: Well, as I mentioned last time, uh, for the Christmas season this year at Touchstone, we are doing something a little different. We usually have a special Christmas program one evening just before Christmas Day, uh, featuring the kids and everything. We're not going to do that this year. Instead, with Christmas Eve being on a Sunday this year, we're, doing, uh, we're going to celebrate by observing Advent during the entire month of December leading up to Christmas, with some of the younger ones in the church participating by doing readings on Sundays and then a little something special on the Christmas Eve Sunday morning service. What is Advent? We talked a little bit about this last time, but I want to repeat what I said last time for the benefit of those who are not here. Advent is the season of reflective remembering and honoring of the birth of Jesus Christ and his anticipated second coming which has been observed for centuries by christian groups all over the world the word advent it comes from the latin word adventus which means coming so advent is both a commemoration of christ's birth his first coming and a looking forward to his second coming the observation and the celebration of advent has taken a number of different forms by Christians throughout history. So as a result, the traditions followed for Advent vary among different Christian groups. Here at Touchstone, we're following a very basic contemporary Western Protestant form for observing Advent. You may be familiar with other traditions. That's okay. These Advent traditions are just that. They're traditions. They don't carry the weight of Scripture, Uh, though the ideas expressed in the Advent traditions come largely from the Bible. The Advent season begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and this year that was last Sunday, December 3. A common tradition that is observed involves the Advent wreath which is typically a circle of evergreens with four candles around its perimeter, with a fifth candle in the center of the wreath. The four perimeter candles are lit one at a time on successive Sundays, and the center candle is then lit on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Now, although, as i said, there are some variations in the traditions about the names and the meanings of these candles and the wreath itself, to generally, they're as follows: the first candle, which we lit last Sunday, is the hope candle, also called the prophecy candle. This is one of the three purple candles on the wreath that we have here on the stage, over on the side. The color purple it signifies repentance, fasting, spiritual preparation. Purple is also the color of royalty, which points to the coming King, Jesus Christ. The second candle is the faith candle, sometimes also called the Bethlehem candle, and this candle is also purple. The third candle is the joy candle or the shepherd candle. It's the pink-colored candle that we see around the wreath. Pink represents joy and celebration. The fourth candle is the peace candle or the angel's candle. It's also a purple color. And then the fifth candle, which is the one in the center of the wreath, is the Christ candle. The color of this candle is white, representing purity, light, restoration, holiness. White is also the color of victory. The wreath itself, it symbolizes the crown of thorns on Jesus' head when he was crucified. The red holly berries represent the blood of Christ that was shed when he was crucified for our sins. The evergreen symbolizes eternal life, which He gives to us. And the pine cones represent resurrection to a new life. Now today is the second week of Advent, so we're going to be lighting the faith or Bethlehem candle and then following that with some scripture readings before we then get into our Bible study. So I have um, some beautiful ladies to do the lighting of the candle and do the readings for us this morning, so why don't you guys come on up and uh, do that for us. Well, the classic Christmas nativity scene is a familiar one, known by most people. The baby Jesus is in a manger. He's surrounded by his mother Mary, his stepfather Joseph, a handful of wise men, some shepherds, a collection of farm animals, and angels are hovering overhead. Although this scene may not be exactly as things are described in the Bible, it's based on real historical events involving real people. It's not a myth like Santa Claus and his toy making elves and his supersonic flying reindeer. Now, with this being the second week of Advent, which features the faith candle, I want to focus our attention today on one of the people in this classic Christmas scene who exemplified incredible faith and courage, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This young woman, Mary, who uh, is the one that we will be focusing on this morning, she was told some of the most unbelievable things by an angel of the Lord, which would risk her reputation, her relationships with others, her future, her very life. But she willingly accepted that and displays this tremendous faith and courage, giving herself to the Lord as his servant. So flip over to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So our story, it takes place in this small Galilean town of Nazareth, where a young woman named Mary lives. This older relative of Mary, who is mentioned here in the story, Elizabeth, she's going to give birth to a son who many of you are familiar with. He will be John the Baptist. But that story is for another day. We're given some important information about Mary in these first couple of verses. Mary is a virgin meaning she has never had any kind of physical relations with a man. And the ancient prophecy given in the book of Isaiah some 700 years before these events took place said the Messiah would be born to a virgin. And it was one of the readings that was done earlier, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of prophecy. Another thing we're told here is that Mary is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Engagement was much more binding in those days in that culture than it is in our own. If you were engaged, you were considered married in regard to the seriousness of the commitment and its obligations. In fact, a formal divorce was required to break an engagement at that time. And physical relations with another person was considered adultery, a serious violation of the marriage covenant. A young woman was typically engaged to a man soon after she reached puberty, usually arranged by her parents. From that point on, from a legal standpoint, she was considered married, although she would remain in her father's home and there would be no physical relations between the young woman and her fiancé until after their actual wedding. Considering these things, Bible scholars, historians, believe Mary is probably around 13, 14, 15 years old at this point. Twenty-eight. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God sends the angel Gabriel to this young woman, Mary, to give her a message. The angel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In other words, rejoice and be glad from among all of the women on earth. God has chosen you for a very special purpose. Of all of the people that the Lord could have chosen for this very special task with world-impacting importance, He chooses Mary. Why? She's not famous or influential. She's not wealthy. She's not highly educated. She's not particularly gifted in some way. She's really very plain and ordinary by the standards of her society. And I don't say that to criticize or diminish Mary in any way, but to point out that the Lord doesn't choose people because they are considered important or famous or influential or talented in this world. And he most often chooses people that would not be considered worthy if judged only by the standards of this world. For yourself, don't let this world tell you what you are worthy to do and be used for by the Lord. The Lord is the one who we are to live for and he's the one who determines our worth, not this world. 1 Samuel 16:7 says the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:26 29 of Luke 1 it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It says Mary's greatly troubled by what the angel has said. This is very confusing and unsettling for her. She isn't sure what this means. Imagine for a moment that an entourage of secret service men show up at your door. They're wearing their signature black business suits. they got the dark sunglasses on. The radio earpieces are in place. And they say to you, congratulations. You have been selected by the President of the United States himself to receive the country's most treasured possession. Most of us would probably be confused and a little bit afraid. We would be trying to remember if we had purchased a lottery ticket. Or maybe we had sent in the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes entry. We would be wondering if this whole thing is a joke, someone's trying to punk us. We would be thinking they have the wrong address. We would be asking, why me? We would be trying to figure out if we are in trouble for something. Well, Mary, she's facing something far more severe and unbelievable in every way. This is a real angel standing before her. And if you remember any of the stories in the Bible about real angels, you know that an encounter with a real angel in and of itself is scary enough, much less the message that he has for her. 30, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's look at, let's talk about, A few of the things that are mentioned here. It says, You are to call him Jesus. Jesus, the Hebrew version of the Greek name Jesus is Joshua or Yahshua. And Joshua literally means Yahweh or the Lord is salvation. So at the very outset, before he is even conceived, the mission of this very special child is already established. The Lord is salvation. Jesus will be salvation. He will be the source of salvation, the bringer of salvation, the creator of salvation for all of humankind. Since He'll be the Son of the Most High. The divinity of Jesus is stated here. There's absolutely no doubt about who the New Testament believes Jesus to be. He is God the Son. This is going to be stated again a little further down in verse 35 too. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, there's an interesting word interplay going on here because in the sentence before, it tells us Jesus will be the Son of God. And in this sentence, we're told that his father is David. And this really points out this unique nature of Jesus, that he'll be both God and human. And we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, more too, but the ancient prophecies say that the Messiah is to come from the lineage of David. Above in verse 27, it says that Joseph, Mary's fiance, is a descendant of David. Now we get the words of the angel affirming that this is all part of God's plan, that he is from the lineage of David. The, the message to Mary on a personal level here is nothing about your life, Mary, is an accident. The family that you come from, the family that your husband comes from, has all been a part of God's plan and preparation for this very special moment in human history. The message for the world at large is the child to be born to this young woman will be the one that the whole world has been waiting and hoping and praying for. This child will be the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies. This child is indeed Messiah. It says his kingdom will never end. refers to the eternal kingdom that will be established by and through this child. The kingdom of God transcends the kingdoms of humanity. Find peace in that, especially in the world as it is. In our own day, everything in this world that is heartbreaking and painful and troublesome is not going to last. These things are temporary. Christ's kingdom will replace all of the pain and sickness and violence and evil in this world with his peace and his righteousness. And it will last forever, it tells us. 34. How will this be, Mary asked, the angel, since I am a virgin. Mary asks how this can be possible since she's a virgin. She clearly understands that this child being promised to her is to become a reality before she's married to Joseph and has any kind of physical relations with him or any other man. See, Mary knows this is not her and Joseph's child that's being talked about by this angel. And I think Mary's insight into what's being talked about here is noteworthy. Think about it. If you were a woman in her place and didn't have the benefit of hindsight that we do, and you were told that you are going to have this very special child, would your immediate assumption be that you're going to not be pregnant in the normal way? I don't think most of us would have gone there. We would have thought, all right, well, I'm going to get married in some way. I'm going to, you know, da 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 But Mary doesn't, and it reveals the kind of faith that this young woman has. It, It reminds us of the kind of faith that Abraham had, who believed God even though what he was being told by God was considered impossible. Mary believes Possible, what was normally impossible, because she believes in the One who can make all things possible. 35, the angel answers her, says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One is to be born. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I want us to see the gentleness of the interaction that the Lord will have with Mary. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's a very gentle act of the Lord that's being described here. It has been said that God is a gentleman in the way that he interacts with us, and that can't be any more true than in the situation that we have before us here. It says the Holy Spirit will overshadow and that word overshadow it brings to mind the the glory cloud of god the shekinah which would settle on the temp- the tabernacle in the desert wilderness when the israelites were traveling across the desert to the promised land and it would symbolize god's presence this Glory cloud that would descend, and the same word is also used to describe the cloud that settled over Jesus and his disciples at his transfiguration, and we have the same idea here that the glory cloud of the Lord would descend upon Mary. The glory cloud of holy God would settle on her and conceive in her that Christ's child Fully God and fully human, perfectly suited to stand in the chasm between holy God and sinful humanity as our Savior. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So we have here another statement of who Jesus is. There is no doubt in the, uh, about what the Bible says believes to be true of Jesus, that he is the Holy One, the Son of God. Anyone who's wondering, well, you know, does the Bible say he's God the Son? Yeah, well, right here it does. 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So the angel Tells Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy as an encouragement and affirmation for what she herself was about to experience. The Lord has done the miraculous for Elizabeth. In her old age, she has conceived and she's pregnant with a child who will be John the Baptist. He's going to do something even more miraculous for Mary. 37 for no word from God will ever fail. Everything about this encounter that Mary is having with this angel, Gabriel, it falls under the category of impossible. I mean, but it all happened. Elizabeth had a child in her old age. Mary had a child without ever being with a man. God becoming a human being. It's it's all impossible stuff. How could these things have happened? Nothing is impossible with God. And 38, it says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So here's Mary's response to all that the angel has told her. I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. There's no arguing, there's no complaining, there's no doubting. Uh, She simply says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary displays an attitude of incredible faith and courage. She gives her whole life to the Lord to be used by Him in whatever way would please Him. No, no hold barred. Now, someone might say, well, it would be easy to be Mary. I mean, she's being given the opportunity to give birth to the world's Messiah. I mean, how cool is that? It doesn't take much faith to receive a blessing like that in your life. But let's consider the reality of what she is facing here. Mary is risking her reputation. How would you think people are going to respond to Mary, a supposed virgin, engaged to Joseph, all of a sudden showing up pregnant? And what's her story going to be? Well, an angel appeared to me and told me that the Holy Spirit would come upon me and I would conceive. And that's what happened right. Who's going to believe a story like that? What kind of reputation is Mary going to have among the townspeople? Mary's risking her relationships with her family and her friends and her fiancé. She has no idea how her own family and Joseph are going to respond to this thing. The expected reaction would be one of deeply hurt feelings and anger. It's going to be traumatic for them. In those days, in that culture, the shame associated with a young woman being pregnant before she's married was tremendous. And it was felt by the whole family. If you were Joseph, how would you feel if your fiancé all of a sudden shows up pregnant and you've been nowhere near her? You would not be happy about it. We learn from Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 that when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant his plan was to divorce her until the angel appeared to him and explained what was really going on Mary is risking her future happiness the penalty for a woman found to be in an adulterous relationship was death. And even if that penalty was not carried out against her, and it wasn't always carried out, she would live her life ostracized from proper society, always looked at by people as shameful and dirty. Mary's putting her whole life on the line. How she responds to the Lord, it's challenging for us. I mean, are we willing to risk for the Lord our reputation, our relationships with others, our happiness, our future? Lord, give us hearts like Mary so that we can say to you, I am the Lord's servant. Let's talk for a moment about the virgin birth of Jesus. Is it necessary? Why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? Well first, there's no getting around the Bible's claims that Jesus was born of a virgin. The the passage we have read today clearly states that Matthew's account also makes that same claim so it's not like we can get around this issue in some way. Second. It's not necessary that a person understand how the virgin birth of Jesus happened. It's a mystery. We simply accept that it happened. Now, for the person who accepts the miraculous supernatural working of God in our world, well, the virgin birth of Jesus doesn't present any more of a problem for us than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Does or the salvation of a human being does, or the answering of our prayers does. Interestingly, it was reported a while back in a news article that scientists pinpointed the genes in fruit flies that can make solo spawning or virgin birth possible. They then were able to switch those genes on so that the fruit flies then reproduced without a mate. Now, if scientists can do that, don't we think that God can do a similar thing with a human being and join himself to our genes to become the God-man Jesus? The virgin birth of Jesus is important because it fulfills prophecy. Isaiah seven fourteen, which we... Read earlier and was part of the readings. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Fulfilled prophecy is an important piece of evidence for proving that Jesus is the Messiah. If He didn't fulfill the prophecies, then we would have no reason to believe He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The virgin birth is important because it affects the trustworthiness of the Bible as a whole. If the Bible is wrong about the virgin birth of Jesus, which it is claiming to place, then why should we believe it about other things having to do with Jesus, like his resurrection from the dead? The virgin birth is important because it made our salvation possible. Whatever took place on a genetic level at the conception of Jesus ensured that he was both really human and really God. Both are needed for Jesus to be that unique one who serves as our Messiah, who perfectly bridges the chasm between fallen humanity and holy God. Jesus Christ, he reaches across that infinite divide and takes hold of us and makes possible for us a personal relationship with holy God. Jesus was a human being, living with the limitations that come along with that. He got hungry and tired. He experienced pain and heartbreak and physical death. But his nature was free of the contamination of original sin. And so Jesus was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who died for us giving his life in exchange for ours. It says that by his resurrection from the dead, we also know that he was more than a mere human being, that he was God the Son. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus Christ is the truest and most valuable of all gifts to us.